It's time to put on those oven mitts because it's time to bring the heat with Christian Brown. And welcome to another episode of Bringing the Heat. I'm your host, Christian Rao, and we are back for another 30 teams in 30 days as we are closer to opening day. And we are talking about the 2019 World Series champions. The last time a full 162 happened, these guys were crowned the winners. And that's the Washington Nationals. And with me today, I have a very special guest. I have Nick Myers. Nick Myers is the host of Half Street High Heat the self-proclaimed Washington Nationals podcast. Hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, very good. Always love talking Washington Nationals, and we are finally here. This NL East is going to be a very fun division to talk about this entire season. But let's get going, and let's talk about these Nats, and let's see if the natitude can continue into 2021. But with that being said, let's take a look back at 2020. Obviously, wasn't the best season for the Nationals. They didn't even get to really celebrate their first World Series win with their fans because of 2020. And there was a lot of sad things that happened. Guys like Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross opted out. We saw, you know, the departure of Tony Rendon. What was your thoughts of 2020 for the Washington Nationals? Uh, you know, so obviously we were coming off a high with 2019. Um, I mean, that was new for Washington Nationals fans. And, you know, we were trying to soak up every minute of it. And, you know, we didn't get our victory lap, so to speak, uh, due to the pandemic and whatnot. But um, that offseason was an important one. And it was one we had, you know, Nats fans had circled on the calendar even before the, the magical run of 2019. Um, you know, if, if you go back a little bit further to the trade deadline, you know, we had started to turn things around, but, you know, the, the trade deadline, we were at 500 or somewhere around there, not, you know, blowing the world away overall, so to speak. So there was a lot of talk and I'll admit myself included to, you know, trade Anthony Rendon, get something back for him because, you know, we, we knew Strauss had an opt out. We knew Rendon was a free agent. And we hadn't heard much on the extension talks and we had just lost Bryce Harper the year before. So, you know, we, we wanted some sort of security and we didn't have it. Thankfully, you know, the Nats didn't listen to the Twitter GMs and, and they kept Rendon and they won the world series, but you know, obviously we all know how it played out. They re-signed Strauss and Rendon walked and that was a huge hole in our lineup. I mean, Rendon, that year was an MVP caliber player, even better than, you know, Juan Soto and, and whatnot. So it, it was tough and they did their best to replicate the success from the prior offseason and, you know, replace production with multiple guys, sort of like a money ball style. Um, you know, you're not just trying to find one guy to replace production. You're find, finding multiple guys to fill that role and it didn't work. Eric Thames was a bust as Drupal Cabrera should have been gone the year before. Um, you know, you had Zim opt out and, you know, Howie Kendrick was banged up. So the magic that was there in 2019 was not there in 2020. And I think some fans could see it coming, but we did have sort of blinders on because we were coming off that, that run. So I think it was a little bit to be expected and, it was a little bit of a, a wake up call because we're not just going to be automatic contenders every single year because we won it once. 
So then you you look at this offseason, they make the move for Josh Bell. They signed Kyle Schwarber, they signed Brad Hand, and they do more. I don't think it was enough, but they certainly do more to put themselves in a, a position of contention. Um, but certainly, you know, 2020 could have gone better um, in multiple fronts to, you know, set us up for the future. Couldn't agree more. And speaking of that future, you have a great solidified player for your star of the future, and that is Juan Soto. Although it wasn't the best season for the Nationals in general in that 60-game spread, Juan Soto was an MVP caliber player. He was in the running for MVP. It did happen to go to Freddie Freeman. But your thoughts about Juan Soto last year, how good was he? Uh, you know, I think it was just scratching the surface. I mean, he was forced uh, to, to miss some time due, due to a positive test, but it wasn't really ever confirmed that it was positive. It was kind of weird how that, that all shook out. But, you know, Juan Soto in 2020 put together the, the campaign, albeit abbreviated, that, you know, we, we kind of hoped and are beginning to expect from him. You know, I think the batting average was a little inflated due to, I think it was 47 games he played. And he hit, you know, he led the league in batting average. I think it was like 347 average. That's obviously phenomenal. If he can do that, obviously we will take it. But I think that batting average was a little inflated. But as far as home runs go and, you know, depending on how the top of the lineup goes, RBIs, he's more than capable of doing that, you know, this year and going forward. He has one of the best, you know, um, plate discipline, um, you know, attributes in the game. And he's so young that it's incredible to see how his game is evolving even more to take himself to that next level. So he's going to be a popular MVP candidate this year. And it seems like he's a rare, you know, 22 year old that can handle that kind of pressure and expectation because, you know, he's just out there having fun. And that's something, you know, you really love to see out of a a superstar you know, player and franchise cornerstone, just going out there, having fun and not crumbling under the pressure. So I think, you know, we're definitely lined up well for the future in him. It's just a matter of, can we put the cast around him to support him? Last thing on 2020, obviously we talked about how this was a disappointing season for the nationals. What what was your biggest surprise that you could take from either the entire team or one player that really stuck out from last season, other than Juan Soto? Uh, I think there's two that certainly come to mind. 2020, you know, you can't, I view it sort of how, you know, the the common view on spring training was, you know, if if someone has a tough spring training, you don't put too much stock into it because it's not, you know, the, the regular season, they're not in form yet. And due to, you know, how, 2020 the 2020 season unfolded kind of just a rushed start to get going and not a real spring training Uh, we saw a lot of notable guys struggle I mean top top tier guys so because of that I'm not going to put too much stock into the struggles but you do put stock into you know the, the the breakouts and the successes and two that come to mind are one being Trey Turner Trey Turner put together a great you know, again, abbreviated campaign, but it, it was, you know, what everyone has been expecting from Trey Turner for, you know, several years now, because he, it wasn't like he just came out of nowhere. He's always been a, a highly regarded prospect ever since we traded for him in the uh, Steven Souza deal, you know, back in 2015, whenever it was. And, you know, we had seen flashes, but it had never really come together. And to see that happen in 2020, finally, 
was a great and welcome, you know, surprise because obviously we had just lost Rendon and, you know, the, the way the Nats did it, they lost Bryce and they kind of expected Soto to step up. Well, now they lost Rendon and Trey stepped up. So eventually they're going to run out of guys to, to keep doing that. But, um, you know, it, it was nice to see Trey step up and hopefully, you know, he could continue his hot streak into 2021 because now there's a chance he might hit second or third as opposed to that leadoff spot. So he's going to be, you know, relied on more than probably he, he's used to. Um, and the second one being Tanner Rainey, because uh, as Nats fans know, we have had terrible, terrible bullpens in the past. Um, even 2019, it was one of the worst bullpens of all time, and that's not an exaggeration. And we got just enough from Sean Doolittle and, and Daniel Hudson to, you know, keep us afloat. I mean, it was rough at times. So, uh, you know, seeing someone else step up and – not necessarily homegrown, but one of our guys and not like a big um, free agent signing step up was, you know, huge for us. And now, you know, they make a couple of signings with Will Harris, who they're counting on to bounce back. Like I said, Brad Hand um, and, you know, hopefully Daniel Hudson rebounds now that he's not closing and he hates closing. So, you know, with guys like that and Tanner Rainey with the insane amount of raw potential he has, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a good sign for things to come because relievers can be very volatile. So if Tanner Rainey, you know, being young and not having a lot of miles on his arm can keep that going in 2021, the Nats back in the bullpen is going to be really, really good and kind of an unexpected strength for this team. Well, let's segue right into the bullpen. Usually I start with the rotation, but we're already on the conversation. I'm here. I'm bringing the heat with Nick Myers. He's a host of Half Street High Heat podcast for the Washington Nationals and we're talking about the bullpen right now as we continue on with 2021 season previews for the Washington Nationals themselves but you just talked about Tanner Rainey that guy throws nails I mean we've seen him throw 100 Mm -hmm. miles an hour multiple times and then you bring up a guy like Virginia Beach very own I got to say that out loud Daniel Hudson ODU uh, ODU player just like uh, you know a graduate of Old Dominion myself Uh, Will Harris you know him coming over from Houston a few years ago and then now you pick up Brad Hand that is a nice three-man rotation well, I wouldn't say rotation but um, you know a nice three-man grouping at the end of your bullpen to anchor it out and you can really play by matchups there you may who knows will we have a true closer will it be Brad Hand be interesting um, but I like what this bullpen sits at it'll be interesting to see what happens when Sean Doodle Doolittle's not in the bullpen anymore. First time in how many years that Doolittle won't be in your bullpen. But we already touched base on a little bit about it. But how do you feel the success of the bullpen will be, especially with the addition of Brad Hand and the departure of Sean Doolittle? Um, so, you know, starting with Brad Hand, I think, you know, on our podcast, we all gave that, uh, you know, an A-plus rating. That was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Nats needed a lefty reliever. Sean Doolittle was gone, but he he was also your only left-handed reliever. I mean, they brought up Seth, Seth Romero, who's one of their top prospects, but he wasn't anything to write home about. So they really needed a lefty reliever. If it wasn't Brad Hand, they had to, you know, address it in some capacity. And they went out and they signed the best reliever, lefty reliever available. So, you know, that's really all you can ask for as a fan, um, for them to do but you know Brad Hand wasn't just the best lefty available he's one of the 
best relievers in the game. And yeah, there's some, you know, advanced statistics that, uh, you know, suggest some regression, but I think that's normal. Like I said, relievers can be very volatile. So, you know, I, I think we can expect Brad Hand to be the closer, but say, you know, it's a tight game. It's an important game in the seventh inning. And, you know, there's lefties coming up. I don't think it, it would be all that surprising to see Brad Hand come out, you know, in the seventh to, to get through the heart of an order, you know, whatever the situation may be, because, you know, he has that skill set and, you know, there's been debates all, all around. A, a closer's value isn't necessarily in the ninth inning. It might be in the sixth inning with the bases loaded. It might be in the seventh, you know, through the heart of the order, whatever it may be. So I kind of like that you, your best reliever is a lefty because then you can use him in those situations that call for it. Um, but this is sort of, you know, a hot take in that I think our bullpen as a whole is going to be better than our rotation. And, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with health of our starting rotation, but also age, you know, Max Scherzer's getting up there and obviously he can still pitch, but is he going to be the ACE that we've seen? Maybe, maybe not, but it's increasingly hard to, you know, count on that superb stellar season when he's approaching age 37. Steven Strasburg is coming off of uh, surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome. So, you know, while he's looked pretty good in spring training, who knows? And he has an injury history. Patrick Corbin had a rough 2020 and you're hoping he can, you know, right the ship. And then you have John Lester, who's just like, you know, there to eat innings and you're not counting on a sub three ERA from him or anything. And Joe Ross is your projected five starter who's looked great in spring training, but you know, he also didn't pitch last year because he opted out. So I, I think they're end, going to end. However, I think the bull can get it done because of the depth, which is so weird for a Nats fan to say the depth they have in their bullpen because they have Wander Sawyer who's had, you know, flashes of potential. They have Tanner Rainey, like I mentioned, Will Harris is coming back. Daniel Hare or Daniel Hudson is there. Brad Hand is there. And they have a couple of younger guys like Kyle Finnegan who can, you know, step up and especially in, you know, say, you know, one of your starting pitchers has a short outing. Kyle Finnegan can go in there for two innings and be just fine. So I, I think the bullpen is actually going to be an unexpected strength. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I guess it's not a bad thing, but, you know, ideally it's a strength that lifts up your team, not the strength that keeps you afloat. But I like the bullpen. I like the way it's shaping up. It's just a matter of if everyone can, you know, pitch to the back of the baseball card. Yeah, that you make perfect sense. You brought the, ro brought the rotation into the mix too. And, and that makes a lot of sense too. The age is a factor with the Washington Nationals of this rotation. Max Scherzer being in a contract year this year, arguably one of the best contracts ever given to a pitcher, not just in Nationals history, but in baseball history. The production that Scherzer has gave the Nationals since coming over from Detroit has been absolutely incredible. And then we'll see what happens to the, the former 2019 World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg. Uh, I'm really excited to see what happens with this entire pitching staff, and I can tell you are too. But let's move over and talk about the catching position before we get to the infield. And Jan Gomes is still going to hold on to that spot as the number one. Looks like he's going to hold about, they're looking at about 100 games for this guy. And Alex Avilia comes over to back up Gomes, and that's not a bad backup. He's been a backup, a pretty good platoon guy for a long time. He's 
he's uh, very used to seeing some of these guys, such as, you know, Corbin and Lester. So your thoughts about uh, this catching position with this new revived bullpen and rotation? Yeah, so I think catcher was the one area I would have liked them to upgrade the most uh, heading into this 2021 offseason or, you know, the offseason heading into the 2021 season. Um, because Jan Gomes, I think he's probably at worst an average catcher. Um, and if you look at base on general, the catching position is very top heavy. You have the best of the best, your real mutos, your grand dolls, um, and, and Contreras and whatnot. But then there's a steep drop off once you get past that top tier. So, you know, if you do have an average catcher, it's not the end of the world because it's very difficult to upgrade. That being said, there was two notable upgrades on the market this offseason that, you know, I think maybe you would have had to uh, uh, given up a pick because of the qualifying offer. But those being JT Real Muto and James McCann, the Nats heading into this offseason needed one thing above all else, and that was a power right handed bat. And they that was the one thing they did not, you know, really address because, yeah, they got Josh Bell, but he's a switch hitter and, you know. I don't have the number in front of me, but so many pitchers are right-handed. So he's going to be hitting lefty most of the time. So you still needed that right-handed power bat that they didn't get. And you would have gotten that with JT Romuto and to an extent, James McCann. But, you know, with what they decided to do, you can't be too upset. Uh, it's still, you know, you, you wish they would have done a little bit more. But Alex Avila is a fine backup. Um, he has a lot of rapport with a lot of guys on you know, the current staff and in the bullpen. I think he's caught like seven or eight of our guys before. And like you said, he has experience has been a backup for a long time. So he's a fine platoon partner. And, you know, like I said before, it, it's very hard to upgrade the catching position. So the fact that, you know, they didn't is okay because they spent that money elsewhere and made upgrades in other areas. So it is what it is. You can't fix, you know, an entire team in one off season unless you're the Padres apparently. So um, I, I think it's fine for going forward, but at some point they are going to have to address it because they don't really have anyone in their farm system to, you know, catch her in the, the waiting or something like that. Well, you just brought up Josh Bell, him coming over from the pirates in a trade, a great addition. It's another power bat, not a right-handed power bat, as you said, but a switch hitter, most likely uh, a lefty power hitter for the most time. Uh, but he's going to be your, your new everyday first baseman. Ryan Zimmerman, you know, the world's oldest national <laughs> has, has, been, has come back, and he's going to be back on the squad as well. I'm sure there'll be some kind of platoon game, so he'll probably play just based on matchups. But this infield is still really interesting. Obviously, you talked about Trey Turner last, uh, you know, about last season, how great he's been. He'll be your starting shortstop. Second base, we'll see if we get, you know, the, the, if the Nationals have the health of Starling Castro would be interesting. There's still a couple other uh, people that could be in the second base. So second base is interesting to me, and so is third base, because it didn't really seem like the improvements of Carter Kaiboom were there last year if there was not enough uh if there was not enough sample size form or whatnot I know that a lot of people are still have it, their hopes up for them but round out this infield for me and especially emphasize on the second and third what are we looking at for these nationals yeah so just going around the diamond I mean we haven't had an everyday first baseman for a while I would probably say since like Adam LaRoche and I couldn't even tell you the last time he was on the team um, so Josh Bell is a welcome addition. 
you know, even when Ryan Zimmerman was playing every day at first, he was always injured or, you know, we had uh, someone else who needed time at first base, whether it was Howie Kendrick or, um, you know, Michael Morris was here for a while. Um, but Josh Bell is a super welcome addition. The, the trade they got him for was an absolute steal in my mind. Yeah, we gave up Will Crow and Eddie Yeen, I believe. And Yeen projects as a, a fine ball player, but he's also 19. So we wouldn't have seen him for several years anyways. So the Bell move is awesome because he's cheap. I believe he's around 7 million this year. So he fits that part of your checklist for, you know, any moves you make, you don't, the Nats are never really ones to overspend. Um, so he hit that, but also the power that we've been lacking severely last year, it was, you know, blatant how little power we had in the lineup. So he hit that. Um, and Ryan Zimmerman is interesting because he's had a great spring and he's one of the rare candidates. I think the 2020 season helped um, because he opted out. And, you know, for any ball player, if you ask them, when's the last time you really got any time off like that, uh, they would say probably, you know, when they were like six or seven years old, because they've been grinding for years and years and years to get where they are. So with Ryan Zimmerman constantly battling injuries, the 2020, you know, season or lack thereof for him was really a godsend because he was able to let his body heal. So, you know, the, the fact that he's looked great in this spring was a little surprising, but if you think about it, it wasn't surprising at all because he finally got, you know, the rest he needed. So, you know, it, it's great, but without the universal DH this year, where does Zim slot in? Because Bell's a switch hitter, so he doesn't really need those platoon games, so to speak, uh, because he, he, in theory, can match up against everyone. I believe he hits righties better than lefties, so that still carves a little role for Zim, but certainly not what it would have been like with Eric Thames last year, for instance. So it'll be interesting to see just how much Zim plays and if his bat indeed does force him into the lineup more. Because if Josh Bell, who has also looked great this spring, you know, continues to rake, it's like you have two guys that, you know, are continuing to rake on your team and you only have one spot for them. So that'll be interesting to see. Trey Turner is obviously locked in at shortstop. So, you know, you just can hope he can continue his toward 2020 and roll it over in 2021. But as you mentioned, second and third are definitely the positions to watch. Starlin Castro slots into one of them. He's primarily a second baseman, but he can play a decent third base. So he is going to be in the lineup in some capacity. So that really leaves you one position. And it's basically between three guys because the Nats failed to bring in anyone to challenge for that third base spot. They have Carter Keebum, like you mentioned, but any opportunity he's gotten, he has been, um, you know, lackluster to be polite. He had one extra base hit all of last season. Um, There's rumors that he was playing through a severe hamstring injury. That seems to have been debunked. Like he, it was just, you know, normal wear and tear, I guess it, it didn't require surgery or anything. And now that he's healthy in the spring, it's more of the same. He's had, I believe two extra base hits all of spring training and we're a week away from the season at this point. So it's like, are we still continuing to wait for him to turn it around or is this who he is? And I tend to believe in the latter. I wish it was different, but you know, the, the Nats have been unfairly blessed 
with prospects, if we're being real. Like, look at our team. Steven Strasburg was, you know, probably one of the highest regard prospects of all time. Same with Bryce Harper. Anthony Rendon was a homegrown guy. Um, you know, Trey Turner wasn't our draft pick, but he was a prospect that has turned out, um, you know, and, oh, and of course, Juan Soto. Of course, I was you know, blanking on one, the biggest one, Juan Soto. <laughs> How um, can you forget Juan Soto? Yeah, I know. But the, the fact of the matter is prospects don't always work out. And the Nats haven't seen that in a long time because we sort of saw that with Lucas Giolito when he was up briefly. Then we shipped him off before we really even got to see him evolve and develop. And now he's an ace in Chicago. Right. So, you know, in Nats fans' minds, they think, oh, prospects are the golden ticket, which can be true. But you have to realize there's a flip side of that coin where prospects don't always work out. And it, it may be the fact that Kibum is a bust. I, I hope I'm wrong. I would love to eat my words on this, but that's what it's looking right, looking like right now. So that forces the issue. If Kibum's not our guy at third, who else do we have? Because Davey Martinez is trying everything to give the job to Carter Kibum, but Carter Kibum is doing everything in his power not to take it. So that leaves you with Josh Harrison, who was signed as a bench guy and can play a bunch of different positions. So it almost hurts your team to an extent giving him a starting job because he's locked in at that job and he can't utilize roles and give, you know, Kyle Schorber a day off or whoever else a day off because that was the role you signed him to. The other option is Luis Garcia, who is also a prospect. And he looked pretty good in a small sample size last year. But in my opinion, he's still he's still too young. It would be more beneficial to him to play a full season, get regular at-bats in the minors, and you're looking at him slotting in at second base in 2022. But, you know, it's a matter of what your team is looking like right now. So if they need someone who's better than Carter Keeboom, Luis Garcia is probably going to be the guy because they don't have anyone else. They didn't even – really sign anyone to a minor league deal to compete for third base or second base when there was plenty of options on the market. They could have signed a, a, you know, a Jonathan scope, or if they wanted to spend a little bit more money, the guy I wanted them to sign was Tommy Lestella, but they didn't do anything like that because they wanted Carter Keebum to take, to step up and take that job. And he has not. So they've kind of put themselves in a bind right now. So it'll be interesting to see there's about a week left, but today was the first day, um, where we kind of saw a different lineup. They had Castro at third and Garcia at second. So that was pretty telling for what the Nats thought process is about Carter Keeboom right now. So if I had to put my money somewhere, I would say Carter Keeboom's probably going to be, probably be on the bench to start the season. And they're going to give Castro the third base job and Garcia the second base job. Well, I like, all of that analysis right there, because that's important. That second and third base position is going to be something that we talk about for a very long time this season. I'm sure it will not be fully answered until the off season to be completely honest. Well, but so one of the things that they hopefully have addressed is one of the positions in the outfield, obviously right field is a solid block with Juan Soto. That's not going anywhere. They bring in a guy with Kyle Schwarber this play left. He's got a great bat coming over from Chicago not the best fielder, but when you're in the National League, you got to play somewhere. Left field's where it's at. And then center field, you got Victor Robles, uh, Robles, sorry, um, over in center. You lose Michael A. Taylor, who was a utility outfielder for those guys last year. He's now in Kansas City. Your thoughts about this outfield, is it better or worse than years prior? 
Uh, certainly it's worse than what it could have been. And, you know, I'm, I can't tell if it's the majority or minority at this point, but I was a full advocate of re-signing Bryce Harper. Um, and no matter what your opinion is of him, he would have helped this team, especially when you're looking at the outfield as it currently stands. But, you know, we can debate that all the live long day. Fact of the matter is he's not here. If you're going off of, you know, this year versus last year, they upgraded. Adam Eaton is gone. He was not providing you anything anymore. Um, that was the, the move I wanted them to make more than anything was to upgrade from Eaton because he was supposed to be a top of the, the lineup guy and he had a fine world series and that's what everyone's going to point to. But you know, the full uh, sample, uh, the full body of work was just not where it needed to be, especially defensively. So they needed to upgrade, you know, you can take poor defense if it means you're getting good offense and they weren't getting that from, either center field or right field last year with Robles and Eaton. Robles is the interesting one because last year he bulked up. He added about 20 pounds to his 2019 weight. And, you know, it depends what report you you read, but it seems like it was bad weight. And maybe it was just because he had a World Series hangover, just like everyone else. But it, it certainly was not the guy he profiles as. He was not uh, a great defender and he profiles as an elite defender he was not fast and the bulk uh whether it was good weight or bad weight did not lead to an increased output of power so you weren't getting anything from robles last year so he's back down to his normal weight he looks good and it's also important now because david martinez has him leading off due to you know the fact that the nets didn't have sign a big right-handed third baseman or first baseman or whatever, maybe big right-handed bat. So that kind of bumps Robles up from the bottom of the lineup to the top of the lineup, just because of the construction of, you know, the, the, the lineup as a whole. So it'll be interesting to see. They're going to rely on Robles a lot this year. I've never been too high on him, but if he can get on base at a 380 clip, then that'll be just fine. He doesn't have to light the world on fire in batting average or home runs to be an effective leadoff guy. Um, but Kyle Schwarber, you know, I think that was a fine addition. I wasn't blown away by it. He and David Martinez go back to their days in Chicago together. Obviously, Kyle Schwarber was much more of a highly regarded prospect than I think it's safe to say than what he is now. Mm -hmm. um, because if you remember during their the Cubs World Series run, they traded for a road Chapman and the Yankees actually asked for Kyle Schwarber and the Cubs said no, yeah. and instead traded Glaber Torres. If you, you know, <laughs> I think the Cubs, it's safe to say the Cubs have a little bit of sellers or Morse on that. Oh, I would think uh, so. Yeah. So, you know, and Kyle Schwarber has dealt with injuries. So I'm not saying he's a, you know, just underperformed. Like he, he's certainly dealt through uh, dealt with a lot in his career thus far. But he does provide a lot of power, and that's what, like I said, the Nats lacked last year. So he addressed a need. His defense is actually fine. It's pretty league average, and you'll take that, considering how bad the Nats were defensively last year. You'll absolutely take that, and the fact that Robles has slimmed down and he has that, you know, giddy up in his step again, he can cover more range in center field, so that can kind of mask a little bit of uh, shortcomings in Schwarber's defense. So if he can hit, you know, his 30 bombs and, you know, be a threat in the lineup, that'll be a, a fine, you know, addition to this team. 
but if not, it's only a one-year deal, so it doesn't hurt you too much either. So I think it's fine, and as a whole, it's an upgrade from last year. Well, there's never a one-year deal that I don't like. Prove-it deals are, are great things, especially if there's been a proven player, and at one point, Schwarber was a proven player, and he can hit the ball out of the park. Uh, and Nats Park is not the most difficult park to hit a home run in, so I think you'll have a great time doing just that. All right, let's put it all together and I want to know your 2021 expectations of this team. The NL East is a very tough division. We have the you know the amazing the, the tough Atlanta Braves who won the division last year. The Mets did amazing things in the offseason. The Philadelphia Phillies, I personally believe is the most underperforming roster in all of baseball right now. Uh, the last couple of years, they've been injured, so they're a tough team. And the Marlins were sneaky good, made the playoffs last year. So this is a very tough division. Where does the Washington Nationals fall in your in your mind? I probably have them third right now and missing the playoffs. Um, and that's because if you put the moves they've made against the moves the other quote-unquote contenders have made in you know the rest of the National League, they don't stack up. You know, obviously everyone knows what the Padres did, but the Dodgers, even coming off a of World Series, went out and signed Trevor Bauer and re-signed Justin Turner. I mean, they have cash and cash and cash, so they're able to do that. But, you know, they made great moves. Um, the Braves, you know, they had so many injuries in the rotation last year, and they still went out and signed – or they went out and signed Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley, and they still have a plethora of young studs. Uh, Ian Anderson, um, forgetting the lefty's name. Uh, but they have Mike Soroka, who they're hoping can bounce back. Oh, Max Fried. Max Fried is who I was thinking of. So they still have a ton of young, great talent in the rotation, which was, quote-unquote, their weak spot. Their lineup is better than that. Um, you know, the Mets have made great additions this year with Lindor and Carrasco um, and, I guess, new ownership. So, you know, everyone has high hopes and or expectations for them this year uh, and you know the Nats made great moves but it was more to replace holes that were blatantly obvious in 2020 not necessarily to build upon what they already had um, it, it was more moves they had to make and they didn't make that one move that would have put them over the top like they did in, prior to the 2019 season with the signing of Patrick Corbin they already had a great rotation but that Corbin signing put them over the top and we got a World Series out of it. Um, the Phillies, I agree, are super underperforming team. They went out and re-signed JT Romuto, but they also got a lot more pitching depth than we're used to seeing from a Phillies team. They have Nolan Wheeler at the top that can compete with anyone's one-two in the NL East. Um, and, you know, they have Thump in their lineup with Bryce Harper and JT and Reese Hoskins and Alec Bohm, who I think is going to have a huge year this year. Um, and like you said, the Marlins found themselves in a playoff spot last year, whereas the Nats didn't, even though it was an expanded playoff year coming off a world series, the Nats couldn't even sneak into the top half of the national league. So it's pretty telling. And, you know, if you could project everyone to stay healthy over a 162 game season, I think the Nats would find themselves in a playoff spot. but you can't project health for any team in baseball and the Nats, Nats severely lacked depth at every position you know their bullpen is good but say brad hand goes down well that that bullpen's looking a little bit different now because you know now you have daniel hudson closing who's been anything but steady in the closers role 
and everyone shifts roles and it kind of shakes things up. They don't have starting pitching depth. Eric Fetty, Austin Voth shouldn't even be on the team anymore, but they have to out of necessity. Joe Ross, like I said, didn't pitch last year. And Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli, who are their top two pitching prospects and prospects overall, are just aren't ready yet. But we might see them this year out of necessity because of the lack of depth, like I mentioned. And we already talked about in the lineup how if one guy goes down, there's no one to replace him because you're not going to, in all likelihood, get anything from Carter Keeboom. But they do have, uh, you know, the stars on their team with Max Scherzer, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Steven Strasburg to keep them competitive should they stay healthy, which obviously everyone hopes they do. So I think they find themselves in third, but it's going to be a pretty uh, so-so run in 2021, probably around, you know, 84 wins or so. All right, 84 wins. Third place is what you have predicted for the Washington Nationals. Doesn't sound too unexpected, to be completely honest with you. Well, yeah, I, I think it's tough. Um you know, obviously you would have liked more mm-hmm. um, because this is really coming off the, the 2019 season. I think that's how a lot of teams viewed uh, 2020 is kind of just we'll see what happens. And but really, we're playing for 2021. I think the Nats found themselves in that, especially with no moves at the deadline last year. Um, so it, it's a little underwhelming. And I'm again, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but uh, you would have liked to see more, especially from uh, Max Scherzer's. Potential last year with the team. Potential last year, indeed. I'm excited to see what a contract year of Max Scherzer will be all about this upcoming season. Yeah, maybe he turns back the clock. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. Hey, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. But I got to ask you before we go, what is your bold prediction for the Washington Nationals, a player or team in general? Got to have one before I let you go. What do you got for the Nets? Man, um, you know, there's a couple routes I could go. Um, you know, I think Juan Soto is the low hanging fruit, so to speak. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to share one I shared on our podcast. Um, and that is Jackson Rutledge, who is, I believe is ranked number two in the one or two in the Nats system right now. He's going to pitch more than a hundred innings this year for the Nats. Wow. And, um, you know, if you go over a full sample size, that that's a lot, that, that's a lot of the season. And Maybe it's due to injury or lackluster performance from Lester or Ross, but I think Rutledge is going to find himself in a lot of uh, playing time this year, and we'll 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 see how it goes. But th- that's my bold prediction for the Nats that you know they they're forced to dip into the well before they want to. Well, I like that. That's uh, different compared to everybody else's. Usually they're talking about Cy Youngs and MVPs. I like that one. That gives you a little more thought and. Yeah, we're definitely going to pay attention to that. Hopefully I can bring you back on here sometime this season. We can bring it up. But other than that, thank you so much for joining me. Let the listeners know what you got going on, where they can find your work. Go ahead, spill the beans. Appreciate it. So, yeah, you can follow our show at Half Street High Heat. Street with a, is with a ST, so Half ST High Heat on Twitter. We also have a website, same domain, halfsthighheat.com. There you can find uh, a, a bunch of our, our blogs. We have three or four blog contributors and all three hosts um, contribute as well. Uh, we have, you know, predictions for the Nats, but also for all of baseball. Um, right now I'm actually doing a piece ranking all 30 MLB stadiums. So if that tickles your fancy, go check that out. Nice. Uh, we, we have a great um, content uh, coordinator, OPT, One Pursuit Takes. 
Uh, he runs our YouTube channel where we're doing currently player profiles for our new offseason acquisitions. But during the season, we're actually going to do uh, game recaps for all the Nats games. So go check that out. Um, but subscribe, listen to our show at Half Street High Heat. I'm at Nationals Ace on Twitter. Uh, so please go give us a follow, check us out and uh, chat with us. We're always happy to, you know, talk baseball and talk Nats. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Nick. Nick Myers, everyone, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it.